Well, as you heard from uh, Pastor Jeff, that uh, we have been um, doing membership classes, and it's been wonderful. And if, if you are not a member of our church and you would like to be, please come and join us uh, this coming Saturday. I was just sitting uh, talking to Tom and Lynn Donahue, who were in our, our class yesterday. And, and, and this is, you know, I'm not, I didn't solicit this compliment, but Lynn said, you know, I've been in the church for quite a while now and met, been a member at another church. But I, I've not been to a, a class like this that explained things that I now understand. And, and I'm grateful that you shared that with me. And, 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 and if anyone wants to ask, how was that class really? Please go <laughs> talk to Tom and Lynn. And don't take my word for it. But uh, it is really a wonderful class. We have a wonderful time together. Uh, I even brought plums and donuts just to offer a healthy alternative. <laughs> so come and join us uh, next Sunday, uh, next Saturday um, at 9 a.m. But in, pre- in preparing for that class, we reviewed lots of material. We have three sessions that, that go for about three hours. And so there's lots of things to talk about. And as I was preparing for the membership class, I was again reminded why I love the church. It was so good. Like I was preparing, like, oh man, this is why I love the church. And, and there were four things that, that, as I was working on the material to present, four things that really stood out that I want to use to just begin my message today. The first reason why I love the church is because Jesus is at the center of the church. Amen? And Jesus is at the center of this church. And if we allow Jesus to remain in the center of the church, we're heading in the right direction. And so I love that Jesus is in the center of our church. That's number one. The second reason why I love this church is because of the people. And as I was reviewing all of the material, I was thinking of the people. I was thinking of the people who were coming and I was praying for them. And I thank God for the people of the church. You know what I have heard in the past though? Not not anybody here, but just in general as they talk about the church, the big church. Instead of saying that they love the church, they say things like, you know, if it wasn't for the people, the church would be a great place. <laughs> you know? They think that the church, that people is, is a problem of the church. I want you to know for me, I completely 100% disagree with that sentiment of the church. I love the church because in the church are people that I love. And that's why I love the church. And the theology of the church, there's a word for that when we talk about the doctrine of the church. That word is ecclesiology. Our ecclesiology here at Mission Church is that the church is the people. When we talk about the church that I attend, right, I go, what church do you attend? I attend Mission Church. It's at 4750 Mission Gorge Place. I know the address. (laughs) And, and, And we think of the church as a location. Sometimes we think we're worshiping in the church. This building that we're in is not the church. This is the sanctuary. You are the church. I am the church. The church's ecclesia, the called out ones. And if you look around, just quickly, don't look at me, just look at the people beside you. As I have this vantage, 
I want you to know there is a lot of good to love about this place, about this people. And I love the church because I love the people of the church. The third reason why I love the church is because of the very things that the church does, what the people do. I love to hear about the ministry of our church, the quiet ways in which the people of our church do things and bring glory to God. You're not going to hear too much about this, but there are people in our church that open their homes to those who are displaced so that they can have a place to lay their head. There are people in our church that go into the neighborhoods in communities where there are people who are less fortunate and share of the, the abundance that we have to help those around us. There are people in our church that sacrifice and give and do so many things that, that we don't publicize, we don't talk about. It's just a quiet way of people serving others and giving glory to God. I love, love, love that about our church. See, there's so much to love about the church. But there's one more thing that I really love about our church. And this one other thing, it touches me and it moves me deeply as a pastor and, and as a follower of Jesus. You see, the thing that I love about our church is our theology. What we believe about who we are. And we're, we're, we're a unique church. We're, we're a part of the Church of the Nazarene. And that, that says something about who we are and what we believe. As a part of the Church of the Nazarene, we believe in the full doctrine of, of the creeds that were established long ago. Because we, we, we hold hands and we say amen with the other churches who declare that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who suffered and died on the cross. We believe who Jesus is and everything Jesus said that He was. We also believe in the Holy Spirit and God's holy church. We believe in the communion of the saints, the, the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we guard the doctrine of the church because we believe in all of those things and we stand with other Christian churches that say, Amen. We stand there too. I love that. But I also love the unique doctrine from our Wesleyan heritage that we get the chance to know and experience and live out and we got the chance to talk about in our membership class. And as I reviewed the material, I was like, oh, this is the reason why I'm a pastor here and not in some other denomination. I'm not a pastor in a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church. I'm a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene because the doctrine of holiness an entire sanctification that gives hope and grace and love and peace to all people who seek it through the body of the church of Christ in Jesus' name is who we are. And I get excited about that. And I love the church. And I love the doctrine of the church. Hmm. And so... 
if you are new to our church or you've not been a part of our membership class yet, or even if you're a part of the church and you have gone through the membership class and you say, I, I, I understand the doctrine of the Church of the Nazarene, this message of holiness and of entire sanctification. I get it. Well, I want to, as your pastor, just kind of take you through it again. But maybe come at it and look at it in a two-part series. So today I'm going to just talk on the first part, and I'll finish up next Sunday. You see, the doctrine of entire sanctification, which marks us as unique in, uh, in our church as the Nazarenes, it, it calls us to a life of holiness. It calls us to live a holy life. And, and this doctrine of holiness... It guides us, it informs us, it equips us, it shapes us, and it sets us apart to serve God and to serve others. And so, the text of my sermon today begins with Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, God says these words, He says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. God calls us to be holy, because first and foremost, God is holy. And so, church, in the next, today and next Sunday, I want us to talk about holiness and what it means for us. Because there's a part that we play And what God calls us to. But before we even begin to go down that road to talk about what we respond to in holiness, the first thing, the the first and foremost thing that we need to do is we need to talk about and understand that holiness really begins with God. If we don't get that right at first, then we're, we're heading down the wrong path. Because even when you look at the passage of Scripture that we began with in Leviticus 11, God's call is for us is be holy because I'm holy. The holiness of God begins with Him first and foremost. And the holiness of God is something that, that is, starts in the beginning of the Bible. And, and it, it, it just continues on from Genesis, clear through Revelation. And the revelation of holiness grows in us as we continue through the Bible. Because uh, what we will find as we look through the Word of God and we understand holiness, we will see that, that we are awakened to holiness from what we read in the, in the Old Testament to what, how it is revealed through Jesus in the New Testament. So today in my sermon, what I want to do is highlight three realities of holiness that I pray will resonate in your heart and in your spirit as it does in mine. And after today, my prayer is that you will say, as I have said, I love this church because I love the doctrine. I love the message of holiness. And so I want to begin by pointing out 
two of the three realities of what holiness is as we begin with God. Two, uh, I want to I want to share God's holiness and highlight first these two things. I want to highlight I want to highlight the beauty of God's holiness. But even as I say God's holiness is beautiful, I also in the same breath want to tell you that the holiness of God is as dangerous as it is beautiful. Oh, that is one of the unique things about this beautiful doctrine of holiness, that it highlights the beauty of God. And yet, (laughs) there's, there's a danger to that beauty that we all need to be aware of so that we can experience the fullness of God as He's given it to us in holiness. You see, God's divine purity is a part of His holiness. And God's purity and holiness is what sets God apart in such a way that God and sin cannot share the same space. Because of God's purity and God's holiness. Sin, when it enters into that space, is, is clearly recognized. And even beyond that, that sin is in danger of, of, dare I say, being annihilated by the purity and holiness of God. And, and we see this in Scripture. It's not something that, that, that is foreign to us. But the good news is that this message of holiness gets better because we know that as we read further into the New Testament, this holiness grows and develops with the advent of Jesus, the coming into the world and the gift of his Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about the beauty and the danger of holiness first. And I want to liken it to something that we all experience here in San Diego. I love that Jesus, when he told parables and shared stories, it was of things that we all are familiar with. And so in this illustration of God's beauty and danger of holiness, I want to just use something very simple to kind of explain what that looks like and how that works. When we leave today, church, right? You have plans after church? Who's going to go to the beach? Today's a beautiful day, and it's going to get warmer all week. And God's beauty, God's holiness, the beauty of it, it's kind of like the sun that's shining above us here in San Diego. The sun above San Diego illuminates our city. It highlights every beautiful thing about where we live. The sun gives warmth And through that warmth, we have life and light. Without the sun, we'd all die, right? The sun that's shining above. We need it. We need it. And and, and it is beautiful. It it illuminates the beauty all around us. And it's life-giving. If your bones are weak, go stand out in the sun. You get vitamin D from it, right? That's what they say. The doctors all over here, right? That's right. <laughs> but do you know that the sun is dangerous as well, too? You, you, you know, 
I mean, if you just take three seconds to stare into the sun, you will be blinded. It's that dangerous. You don't want to do that. And if, if you go out into the sun and lay out without being in the shade, and if you don't put any sunscreen on, you will get burnt and toasted. How many of you have gotten sunburned before? How many? <laughs> All of you. <laughs> I, I have gotten sunburned before. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's dangerous like that because there's a beauty and a danger with the sun above. It's, it's, and the holiness of God is, works in, 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 in quite kind of the same way. There, there's this beauty about the holiness of God and, and there's, there's, there's also danger. So you understand that if you stare directly into the sun, you're going to be blinded. You're going to burn your retinas. You can't see. And if you go into the, the beach without you know, any kind of protection, if you're not in the shade, you're going to get sunburned. And if you're Elon Musk and you can afford to buy your own rocket ship, and you want to go and, and check out the sun, and you fly into the sky in your own rocket ship, you won't get anywhere near the sun, right? Because you know what will happen. You will be incinerated the closer you get to the sun. Reminds me of a story of when I was in the fifth grade. Our teacher said, class, I want you to think about what you want to be when you grow up. And I want you to share it with the class. And so we were all thinking about what we want to be. And I said, oh, I want to be a chef like my dad. I want to go to cooking school and all that fun stuff. And Kimo, my friend sitting beside me in the fifth grade, Kimo wanted to be an astronaut. And so when it came time, you know, Gordon, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a chef. I want to own my own restaurant. I want to call it Gordon's Gourmet and serve good food. <laughs> Very good, Gordon. Uh, Kimo, what do you want to be when you grow up? By the way, Kimo is James in Hawaiian. So if there are any Jameses in here, your name is Kimo. Kimo said, teacher, I like be an astronaut. And she goes, oh, that's good, Kimo. You want, you want to go fly to the moon and, and check out other you know, planets? No, 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 teacher. I like fly to the sun. And the teacher said, Kimo, if you fly to the sun, you're going to burn when you get there. Kimo go, nah, no worry, teacher. I'm going to go at night time. <laughs> the beauty of holiness, the beauty of holiness is captured in a passage of scripture we're all kind of familiar with. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open it to Isaiah chapter 6. This is the beautiful vision Isaiah has of God. And as I read this passage for you, it's going to be up here on the screen. Follow along with me and listen for the beauty of the grandeur and the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is 
full of his glory. Oh, man. The majesty and the beauty of the holiness of God. I love what the seraphim say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The, the use, the literary device of, of saying holy, holy, holy is to emphasize the very thing that is being repeated three times. And in our vernacular, the way we would say it, instead of the seraphim, we would say, God is really, really, really holy. That's the literary device of saying holy, holy, holy three times. It's a great reminder of the immense holiness of God. On the theological side, the use of the word holy, holy, holy has a name to it. It's called the, and uh, forgive me if I say this wrong, Pastor Bob, the, the trihagion. Did I, am I close? He's like, <laughs> it's my it's my Kalihi accent. I can't I can't say it well. Biblical scholars call this the trihagion, and it reveals the full nature of the holiness of God. The nature that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This nature that God is perfected in holiness as the Father, as the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This Hagion reminds us and highlights the spiritual significance of the fullness of the beauty of God's holiness. You see the holiness there, the beauty of the holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. But as we read further in this passage of Scripture, we read... On in Isaiah 6, and then we find the danger, the danger that Isaiah recognizes that he is in as he responds in terror, beginning at verse 5. This is Isaiah's response to the holiness of God. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Whoo! There's danger here. And Isaiah recognizes the danger that he is in because the beauty and the glory of God put him in danger because of his close proximity with the source of of all divine purity. Isaiah's proximity to God put him in danger of God's holiness, like staring into the sun for more than five seconds. Puts you in danger of going blind. But isn't the sun beautiful? But it's dangerous. And his response is, woe to me, I'm ruined. And and this is not the only example of people recognizing the weight of their sin in the presence of God. In in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus approaches Simon Peter's boat as a large crowd is following him and he jumps up onto Simon Peter's boat. Do you guys remember this story? And he begins to teach the people 
to give some separation from him and, and all who were there. And, and after he gets done teaching, he turns to Simon, who had already been fishing all night long and caught nothing. Simon, let's go fishing. By the way, if you ever say to me, Pastor, let's go fishing, I'm always available. <laughs> Simon, let's go fishing. And, and Simon gives a mild protest, right? Because he's a fisherman. He does this for a living. Oh, Lord. Oh. As he's washing his nets. We've been fishing all night. We caught nothing. But because you say so, all right, let's go. Zero faith that he's going to catch anything at all. Because he's a fisherman. And he's been out all night long fishing and caught nothing. They pull out into deeper water, let down their nets, and you know what happens. They catch so much fish that as they're pulling the fish in, the net starts to tear and break. And Simon Peter, knowing that he is in the presence of God, of pure greatness and holiness, falls down at Jesus' knees. That's what it says. And do you know what he says? Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He says, go away from me, Lord. My sin puts me in danger of your holiness. You see it there. You ever ever feel like Isaiah or Simon Peter, when, when you're confronted by your sin and convicted by it because you've encountered holiness? Have you ever felt that? <laughs> I want to tell you a story of uh, that happening to a young adult here in this church. Christmas time last year. I got invited to a Christmas party for a Sunday school class in our church. And so I showed up to this beautiful home, and and, and, and at Christmas, I'm still kind of new here, you know, about been here about uh, seven, eight months, still getting to know people. And so there was a young adult there that I had never met before, and we got our food, and we sat down, and I sat across him. I'm not going to say his name. Um, and, uh, and so in getting to know him, I said, so what do you do? And he began to enthusiastically tell me about his work and the people that he works with. And, and he was excited and, and lost track of where he was and probably who he was talking to. Because in the middle of talking about his work and the people that he, he works with, he drops an F-bomb in the conversation. And there were, you know, light conversations going along all around our table as I was talking to him. And everyone around the table stopped and did one of these things. <laughs> you know, and then all eyes were on him and, and, and his jaw dropped, his eyes got big. And, and, and he quoted Isaiah chapter 6, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Just kidding. He did not quote that verse. But wouldn't it be fun if he did? <laughs> but he recognized. He was in that place where the conviction 
of his heart. He knew that he, he wasn't in danger. <laughs> but he knew that it wasn't right. <sighs> Seeing Simon Peter and Isaiah and this young adult respond the way they do reminds me that God has placed in all of us the awareness of sin when we are confronted by holiness. So these are two of the three aspects that I wanted to talk about when we talk about holiness. The beauty of holiness. The danger of holiness. And the, the, the third aspect of holiness that I want to highlight to you today is that in God's holiness we also find the source of divine mercy. Because sinful people cannot occupy the same space as God. The purity of God's holiness puts people in danger because of their sins. And in, of our, in and of ourselves, we have no remedy to fix this problem of being in close proximity with God without putting ourselves in danger. There's nothing I can do for you that when we come in contact with God, when we encounter the divine holiness of God, that, that there's any hope for us at all. We have no remedy for that, but God does. God has a remedy for that. And as we read further in Isaiah chapter 6, we see God's response to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, When one, then, one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah says, they flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. The holiness of God, along with it being beautiful and dangerous, the holiness of God is full of mercy. And that mercy foreshadows what Jesus will do. But in this scene and in this story, God sends a seraphim to Isaiah to, to purify him, to touch his lips and atone for his sins and remove his guilt. So now, Isaiah can be in the presence of God without fear of being annihilated. And if not for the divine mercy of God, Isaiah would not survive. And so we see in this story here in Isaiah a foreshadowing of the initiative that God takes to send His divine mercy and grace to cover our sins. He does it by sending a seraph to Isaiah. But for us, and this is where I love this theology, for us, he sends his son, Jesus, to be merciful to us 
so that we can come into the presence of God without being completely annihilated. In Jesus is all of the fullness of the divine holiness of God. In Jesus is the purity of God that is so beautiful and yet so dangerous. But the beauty of the New Testament is the revelation of holiness to us. That when Jesus comes into the flesh, the word of God that dwells among us in the flesh is embedded with a grace and a divine mercy that for the first time in all of history, Sinful people could now come face to face with the divine holiness of the glory of God in their lives. Somehow, in this divine mercy of God through Jesus Christ, somehow, it was no longer dangerous to be in close proximity with God anymore. In fact, now it is welcomed and encouraged. The words of draw near to me as I draw near to you is with us. The Emmanuel, God with us. And through mercy, I'm so sorry, I can't see. (laughs) Through mercy, the divine plan of God was to send Jesus into the world into this mess of humanity to redeem God's people, to restore God's throne, and then to renew the covenant with God and his people. And in John chapter 3, verse 17, it tells us God's plan for his son Jesus. Jesus did not, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Not to punish us, but to save the world through him. That's divine mercy. And that is the message of holiness that is extended to you and to me. This beautiful gift of mercy that for the first time in history, in Jesus, humanity, sinful humanity, was allowed to be in the presence of the pure and holy God. To cohabitate with God. To live with God. God's holiness in Jesus came with grace because none of it was deserved. And it came with mercy as Jesus redeems, restores, and renews our relationship with God. And with this comes the call for us to be holy. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord God Almighty. This divine mercy, (laughs) oh my gosh, I don't know if I can continue. This divine mercy is, is, is given an even greater twist in this. That God sent a seraphim 
to touch the lips of Isaiah, to purify him. And God sent his own son now to touch our lives, to purify us from our sin. His own son. How do you do that? For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. That's what John 3.16 says. And Jesus' death on the cross takes away the guilt and atones for our sins. Thank the Lord. So I'm going to finish up here. <laughs> so sorry. But the Apostle Paul beautifully frames our response to holiness, to God's holiness. He beautifully frames it as you listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is the message for us today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not, do not, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know the will of God. That's our call, church to respond to the holiness that was offered to us. This beautiful, lovely, amazing, majestic holiness that is as dangerous as it is beautiful, but yet full of mercy. And that divine mercy has been extended to us that today we no longer are annihilated in the presence of a holy and pure God. Instead, we are welcomed into His presence to live lives of holiness in response to His holiness in us. Will you join us in this journey to holiness? Would you reconcile yourself to be a living sacrifice for God so that you can be holy and pleasing to Him. I want to invite the worship team to come. And as you do, I would love for us to really just bathe in this message today. To, to let it sink in to what it means. What is God's response for us? That He is holy and His call for us to be holy. Would you would you worship him today? Would you sacrifice all that you're holding on to that keeps you from being holy to God? Would you like to come and pray today at the altar? Is God speaking to you about anything? If he is, let's respond to the Lord today.